Okay, we're gonna have a lot of fun tonight, okay? So I want you to just, can everybody just take a big deep breath? Let it out, good, good. I just felt like we needed to do that. We're gonna have a good time. We are in our uh, new series, God in Hollywood. How many people know that God can speak through anything and any person? I'm happy for that because he's speaking through me tonight. <laughs> so, so not my words, but his. And um, we've got, um, you know, each summer we kind of do this type of a series and we found it to be really effective. And we found that even Hollywood, without even realizing it many times, uh, God is even using and working through even messages that they are putting out. So um, I'm going to kind of share a little bit on a movie tonight and then bring out some truths in the Word of God. So um, how many people have seen the movie Runaway Bride? Come on, girls. Wave. Give me a little wave. Guys, you know you've seen it too. You have been with your girls, and you've seen this movie. I was so sad. One of the younger guys I was chatting with um, earlier, and I'm like, oh, yeah. They're like, what movie are you doing? I'm like, Runaway Bride. Oh, I never heard of it. That is a crying shame. All you young people need to watch this movie. I'm dating myself, um, but it's a great, really um, romantic comedy, and it's a great film. So I'm actually going to open up by showing you the preview to run away bride. It's sort of give you really just kind of the main message of the movie. And then I'm going to pull some truths from heaven and we're going to have some breakthrough in this place. So take a look at the screen, run away bride. Maggie Carpenter is walking down the aisle. Seems very confident in her approach. She's at the first pew. Bride seems to be a bit hesitant. She's turning. She's turning in. Oh, she's running. Where's she going? She likes to dump grooms right at the altar, plows down the aisle, knocking old ladies out of her way like the running of the bulls in Pamplona. I'm profoundly and irreversibly screwed up. I have been accused of using this column to direct bitter diatribes at the opposite sex. I could. This runaway bride story, I think we can sell it to GQ magazine. The real story. All the gory details. If she runs again, you got a cover story. Shazam, I think I'm in Mayberry. Hello. Hello. Excuse me. Could you help? I'm, I'm looking for Maggie Carpenter. She's gonna follow me around everywhere I go? No. Never guess who came crawling into town. Hello, Maggie. You gotta be kidding me. You're gonna do the same thing to number four that you did to the previous three. And I'm not leaving until you do. All right, boys, take my princess for a ride on her chariot. I've been running Maggie through these visualization exercises. All the sports drinks uh, use this head stuff. Be the ball, sink the putt, never say die. Tell me, when you get to the altar, you spike the bouquet? He's an attractive man. The vicious reporter is attractive. I like his tight butt. Uh -huh. Well, I do. What do you think? It works. Oh, we, have, we gotta go, we gotta go meet Bob. Maybe Peter Patter of Little Feet not be Maggie. <laughs> May the gifts be returnable. <laughs> Maggie's family and friends. May your noses be rubbed in all of your mistakes. You are just trying to make me run. You want a man to wake you up at dawn. He's just bursting to talk to you. Can't wait another minute just to find out what he'll say. Unbelievable. She got to you too. When I was walking down the aisle, I was walking toward somebody who had no idea who I really was. But you, you knew the real me. 
Yes, I did. Now that's romantic. It's not that she's afraid of the wedding. She's afraid of the wedding night. Why, when I was a virgin bride, I took a knitting needle to bed with me. <laughs> How good is that? Come on, that's a good little clip. I love that. I love it. If you got the, the heart of that message is that she, um, and I'm going to call, so in this movie, her name is Ma Maggie Carpenter, and his name is Ike Graham, but I'm not going to remember that. So I will be talking to them as Julia Roberts and Richard Gere. Are we good with that? Okay, so Julia, she wants to be married, but because she isn't the real her, she's met four different men, and she's gone down the aisle four times being a version of who she is. But in the end, she couldn't commit because she knows she was misrepresenting herself, and not until she met a man that confronted her to be the real her, who she really was, did she then get the romantic ending that she was looking for. I think that's going to preach tonight. Okay, so um, my first point is this, run away from fake. We're going to get down, we're going to get deep tonight, I'm just telling you. Run away from fake. Being fake, wearing a mask, wearing a facade, do you know that that hurts not only ourselves, but it hurts the people around us? In that movie, it, Julia, really, there was four men that were heartbroken along the way because they thought they had fallen in love with this person that was in front of them, but it wasn't the real her. And so that facade, it not only hurt her because she didn't get the old, she wasn't getting the ultimate goal and what she wanted, but it was hurting all of these other people along the way. And when we're that way, when we're not the real us, the us that God has designed and created us to be, the same thing can happen. I remember, um, how many of you guys like, look, like stories? You like stories? I'm going to tell a few about myself tonight, okay? So when I was about 15 years old, um, I lived in Ecuador, and my family are missionaries there, and we would have a lot of medical brigades that would come from the U.S. to Ecuador, and they would help in the nation of Ecuador, and we would facilitate these types of things, and so I, would, I was an interpreter, and I would interpret Spanish to English, English to, to Spanish for, um, for the health brigades, that they, the medical brigades that they would put on. Well, because I had done so well at doing the interpreting, I had worked my way through like all the different roles within the hospital and they actually allowed me into the surgery room. And so I was in surgery rooms interpreting. And when I was 15, there was one particular surgeon. He was an orthopedic surgeon. And he said, Stacy, you just have like a knack for this kind of stuff. So he said, you know what? Why don't you come in a couple of times a week and I'm going to train you on how to use equipment so that you can help and assist me in surgeries. And this will give you great experience if you want to do this later on in your life. Only in a third world nation, people. Do they allow a 15-year-old girl into a surgery room to learn how to use equipment for orthopedic surgery? Because I was 15 and just, you know, confident, I'm like, yeah, great. That sounds awesome. So no joke, after school each day, three times a week, I started going into the hospital. Now, they taught me everything. I was with, um, you know, all of the nurses. They gave me my own little locker, yeah, where the nurses were, uh-huh, and my own scrubs. And I would go in, and I would scrub up with the nurses. I was there on time for my surgeries. 
and I would scrub up, I would put on the outfit, and to the outside world and to the medical community, I looked like a nurse. <laughs> I looked like a surgical nurse, an RN. So I started doing this, and the funny thing was that different doctors and surgeons, this was a big hospital, so of course, people didn't know me other than this, you know, couple of people that had invited me into surgery rooms, and they would shout orders at me as I would be walking down the aisles, like, get me this and get me that, and um, because I had learned a lot, much of the time I knew what they wanted, so I just went and got it. Didn't think twice, just go get it for them out of the cabinet, here you go. And the next thing you know, I'm in all of these surgeries, and I'll never forget this one day. <laughs> um, this one day, there was an emergency surgery, and the doors fling open, and this guy comes in on the, whatchamacallit, and <laughs> now I've forgotten everything. I used to know that in two languages. Anyways, and so comes in on the gurney, and, um, and this surgeon starts yelling orders at me. And I'm thinking to myself, like, like do you really think I'm a nurse? Like, I have no idea what you're talking about. And then I'm looking at the surgeon and, or the doctor, and I'm looking at the, the guy on the gurney, and I'm like, he thinks that I'm a nurse. And if I don't get what he needs, like, this guy's life is in the balance. And literally, I just froze. Like, what am I doing here? It wasn't the real me. I looked the part. And after that day, I'll never forget, I went home, and I was like, parents, not going back to the hospital again. <laughs> I have had enough. They actually think I'm a nurse. Like, I played the part too well, and I'm going to get mistaken. And so I quit that day. And, um, but all that to say is a lot of times we, we think that we can look the part and get away with it, but there are people's lives at stake. There's hurts and pains and things that can happen when we do not commit to being who we've truly been designed to be. So Julia in the movie, she was on to fiance four until Richard Gere showed up in the picture. And how many people know that, you know, as Richard Gere in the movie, for those that have seen it, it's like he started popping up everywhere. And to me, Richard Gere is like a portrayal of the Holy Spirit. It's like, any which way, the Holy Spirit is trying to get our attention, trying to get us to confront the things that we do not want to confront. And so he was kind of the angst in her world. And some of us think when frustrations come up and life comes up and these proddings and these things that are kind of like really jabbing at us, we want to call it the devil. But I think it's sometimes it's actually God. Now, God didn't intend, and he doesn't have those bad circumstances, but the Bible does say that he will use, make all things work together for good. So even the bad that is happening, that frustration that's coming up, he's like, yeah, ding, ding, ding. I want you to deal with that because it's going to bring you to a better place. Isn't that making sense? So I think that sometimes us like King David I was thinking about, we need to sometimes stand before God and ask God to search our hearts and to search our lives. What is it? What is the cycle? What is the pattern? What is the thing that is keeping us from our ultimate goals? What is the thing in our own lives? And because I've often found that a lot of times, you know, we're looking at everyone else, but it's actually the main character. And, and, and so we have to look at ourselves and go, okay, if I'm not seeing this, God, then show it to me. Search my heart. And this is what the Bible says, Psalm 139, 23 through 24. And this is in, in the Passion, 
Passion Translation. God, I invite your searching gaze into my heart. Examine me through and through. Find out everything that may be hidden with me. Put me to the test and sift through all of my anxious cares. Anybody have an anxious care? See if there is any path of pain I'm walking on and lead me back to your glorious, everlasting ways, the path that brings me back to you. I think at the point of taking personal responsibility for some of the things that are going on in our life, all of the, you know, in, in the movie with Julia Roberts, like she could have blamed a lot of people, but at the end of the day, how, this, this kept happening. It was cyclical. There was a pattern. When it happens four times, we got to stop maybe looking at everybody else or the surroundings or the people and go, wait a minute. Am I the main character? And when we do that, we can stand before a loving God and say, search me, oh God. Know the inside of me. Show me what is making me anxious so that we have an opportunity to deal with the real truth, the real us. Okay, point number two, run away from the blame game. Run away from the blame game. Um, another story from my time in Ecuador. It's given, my child has given me a lot of stories, you guys. Um, when I was 11 years old, I was turning 12, um, my parents, I lived in uh, New York, and um, my parents were taking a vacation, and they were going to about to go on their dream vacation. My dad was an entrepreneur, they were entrepreneurs, and then we were super involved in our church. My dad was an associate pastor in a local church in New York, and then an entre entrepreneur. And so we were, you know, the kind of family that was in church all the time. I was like the kid that fell asleep on the front row under the chair, on the chair, whatever, I was in the house of God. Anyways, and so they decide to, um, they just have this moment where they decided to give up this dream vacation that they were about to go on, and instead they were going to visit their missionary friends who had moved to Ecuador. And so they decided to do that, so they went on this trip to Ecuador. And when they were there on the very first night, um, they actually stayed in this really horrible hotel at a really, in a really horrible area of Ecuador. And um, in the middle of the night, um, my dad had stuffed like a phone book into a window that wouldn't close so that bugs and stuff wouldn't get in. And in the middle of the night, the phone book fell out and hit him on the head. And he just woke up swinging, thinking somebody's in my room. But it wasn't. And when he woke up, he felt the presence of God so strong. And he felt the presence of God and he felt God say to him, I have called you to this nation. I have called you to these people to shift a nation. And he's like, um, like, do you have the wrong hotel room? <laughs> like growing up, my parents never talked about becoming missionaries. That wasn't like a common thing in our household. Like we're going to one day be mission. No, we were business People, Christians, love God, love the church. But we had never really thought of becoming missionaries. And so then my dad began to look at this trip like completely differently. It's a real long story with my mom and her getting on board as well. And, um, but they, they come back to the U.S. and they sit down with our family after a little while. And they sit us all down. And there's four of us kids. I'm 11. My sister's 12. Um, my brother was six and my mom was pregnant. Wonderful time to move nations, correct? Yeah. And so my dad's kind of like, well, it's now or never because we've got a fourth baby on the way and the kids are already growing up. So, you know, my mom at first was like, never sounds awesome. 
but decided to, you know what, um, okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to follow the Lord's leading and, and we're going to go. And so my parents tell us, and my sister and I, we're 11 months apart. So that's like two to tango, okay? You don't just have one kid on your hand. You've got two that are really close. And so my parents tell us the whole thing, and we're like, yeah, that sounds great for you guys. <laughs> they're like, come again? And we're like, yeah, we're not coming. <laughs> they're like, yeah, it doesn't work that way. And we're like, well, our grandparents live here and the rest of our family lives here, so go on to Ecuador, have a great time, but we're gonna stay here. Like, we had never heard of the country before. We're like, where? Where is Ecuador? What? Like, we're from New York. Like, what are you talking about? Anyways, needless to say, we had a hard time getting on board. And we moved to Ecuador. We have to sell everything that we own. My parents didn't do kind of the normal thing of going to churches and getting funding. They felt like God's called us, but we don't know what that's going to look like. So they had decided to self-fund, which meant that they were going to liquidate and sell everything that we owned and then believe God that he would provide since this was the dream that he put in their heart. And so my dad was like, okay, I'm going to start businesses down there as well as church and all of these things. And so we, you know, as kids, all we saw that was our life was never going to be the same again. And so we get to Ecuador, and I am telling you, oh, my goodness, my sister and I, you want to talk about blame? Oh, we made it a living hell. I'm not even kidding. I'm just going to be honest. Is that okay? We had, literally in the first year, we had, I think, five Spanish teachers that quit. My dad was like, girls, seriously, like, I am not even going to be allowed back in the country. Like, everyone's going to hate us. Like, what are you doing to these teachers? And we were so awful. We would, like, sit in the chair. They'd be teaching us, like, normal things. Ecuador, Ecuadorianos. And we're like, yeah, I don't get that. Weird. That sounds so weird. Just to frustrate them so they would quit. We had made a calendar of three years because initially my parents told us that we were going to be there for three years. So we made a three-year countdown. I know. Every parent is like, dear God in heaven. My parents are actually coming tonight. They should hear this message. Anyways. So we, 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 we became really good at blaming them for the situation that we were in. We hated it. We hated Ecuador. We hated being there. We had to learn a new language, a new culture. We didn't want to be there. It wasn't our decision to go there, and we had to be there. So how many people know that that first year was pretty rough? Because when you blame people, you see the world differently. When you blame people, everything is rough and tough and hard. And because we were in a state of blaming, we didn't see the beautiful country that we were in. We didn't see the wonderful people that we were surrounded with. We didn't see the great adventure that was about to unfold. And finally, uh, I think really after that first year when we actually started speaking the language, things clicked and we threw out the calendar and stopped blaming and started enjoying. And we have a great love. I couldn't even imagine my life. Honestly, having not moved there, my parents have been there for over 20 years. We've literally seen revival in the country of Ecuador, an amazing thing that's happening, still happening there. But we were caught up in a blame game. Has anybody ever, ever been there? Not just me. Um, I think that, you know, when it comes to these situations that are hard in our life, whether we've created them or we've just stumbled into them, I think we have to learn how to be gracious to the people that surround us. Be gracious. You know, I feel like a lot of times when we go through really hard things, we come to good people and we ask for wisdom. And then when, when, when we listen to what they say, but we're like, yeah, not really. 
And then we, we listen to what they say sometimes, and then we're like, well, that didn't happen the way you said it, so I'm going to go on to the next person. And then I'm going to go on to the next person and the next person, and then I'm going to go from the person to a church, and then I'm going to go to another church, and then I'm going to go to another zip code, and then I'm going to, like, it goes on and on, doesn't it? But I love, again, King David. See, King David knew who he was, and so when change was happening, he didn't jump into the into the blame game. In 1 Samuel 17, 38 through 40, it says this. And this is when David was about to fight Goliath. So he was in this situation. He raised up his hand that he was going to do it. And so he's in this, in this passage of scripture, he's, uh, he's going to be going out and he's letting Saul know, I'm your guy. And this is what happens. It says, then Saul dressed David in his own tunic. He put a coat of armor on him and a bronze helmet on his head. David fastened on his sword over the tunic and tried walking around because he was not used to them. I cannot go in these, he said to Saul, because I'm not used to them. So he took them off, and then he took his staff in his hand, chose five smooth stones from the stream, put them in the pouch of a shepherd's bag, in with his sling, in with his hand, and approached the Philistine. What I love about King David in this moment is that Saul wasn't being mean to him, saying, here, put on my armor. He was like, this is the best armor. Like, you are going to be well, like, I'm actually going to give you, you're going to go out there? Okay, let me try to make you safe. So Saul gives him his own armor. And I love David because he just went, yeah, that's not the real me. He tried on the armor and he's like, I'm not you, Saul. I'm a shepherd boy. I need my five smooth stones. I need my sling. I'm a, I'm a shepherd and I will go out there as a shepherd. And I love it because he doesn't blame Saul and he doesn't go, Saul, what are you thinking? Do I look like I can fit in your gear? And I think that's us sometimes when we approach people that are good, intending, wonderful people. And we can go, Didn't, don't you know every detail of my situation? No, they don't. <laughs> it's the details of our lives that we decide to share with people. When we know who we are, then it's really easy to shed off the things that don't fit and that don't belong. In Romans 12, 2, it says this in the Amplified Version. And do not be conformed to this world any longer with its superficial values and customs, but be transformed and progressively changed as you mature spiritually by the renewing of your mind, focusing on godly values and ethical attitudes so that you may prove for yourselves what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect in his plan and his purpose for you. Do you know what I think happens? I think just like in the movie with Julia Roberts when Richard Gere stepped into the picture, it's like that's what the Holy Spirit does with us. Like right at the time where it's like self-sabotage. Like I've created scenario upon scenario upon scenario that I've gotten, you know, messed up. And it's like the Holy Spirit shows up and he's like, let me help you untangle yourself. Let me help you. And though, like I said before, those frustrations and those things that come up, we can think, oh no, like what is happening? But it's actually, just like the Bible says, it's a maturing. That means as Christians, when we are maturing spiritually, the things that have been lodged deep down on the inside of us, the history, the pain, the things that we have gone through, Jesus is like, you know what? It's time. It's time to actually bring that to light. It's time to bring that to the surface, and we want to fight it. Julia Roberts, you know, when, when Richard Gere came to her, and he's like, you don't even know what kind of eggs you like. How many of you remember that part of the movie? 
You know, he's like, you don't even know yourself. Every boyfriend told me, every fiance told me how you like your eggs and they were different because you became like your surroundings. You were becoming like the people you were around because you didn't know you. And I think it's the same with us. And God's like, no more, sweetheart. No more, son. I, I want to mature you spiritually. And so I need you to be the real you. And it's the Holy Spirit that is bringing those things up to surface. So those things that are right now just kind of like, you know, it's just jabbing us. Maybe let's step back for a moment. Like we said before with King David, assess the state of heart and go, okay, Holy Spirit, what am I not seeing here? What are you bringing to the surface that I'm going to deal with? Because you want to mature me spiritually. Number three, run to the church. Run to the bride of Christ. The movie's called Runaway Bride, and I had to use that in my point. Run to the bride of Christ. Don't run from the bride of Christ. Run to the church in times of trouble. And when we talk about the church, the bride of Christ, that's made up of people. It isn't the building. It's not just the place. It's the church. It's the beautiful people in the church. But how many people know it's just like in that movie with Julia Roberts. Every time that thing came up, she just ran. And sometimes the same thing can happen in church and it can happen in our real life where things start coming up and we're like, we don't want to deal, so I'm just going to run. I'm just going to run. And at the point of commitment, we begin to run. And I think that that's not the way that God set it up. He set up the church, the bride of Christ. He wouldn't call his church the bride of Christ unless he had great affection for what the bride is, for the people um, within the church. And for Julia, like I said, it got real. How many of us do that at the point of commitment, we run? So right when that thing, that issue, that cycle, that pattern, that thinks comes up, either in life or even in, in church, when all of a sudden we become accountable, or we go from coming to one service to two, we're attending one and we're soaking in another, or all of a sudden somebody wants to make you a team leader and you're like, oh, no, no, no. Then that's called a commitment. <laughs> and it's God promoting you. And you're like, no, no, no. We all can be like that. I get it. At the point of commitment, sometimes we run. And I just feel like God wants you to know that when those times come, it's for our betterment, not for our destruction, but for our victory in those moments. The church is called the bride of Christ, and it's made up of imperfect people. But it's Jesus' most effective. It's the one thing Jesus said that he would build, his church. And here's the thing. When we don't fulfill our commitments, it's like leaving the bride at the altar. When we don't face the real things that we're dealing with our, within our, our lives, it's like leaving the bride right there at the altar. And the thing is, when we commit, how cool is it? It's the bride actually gets the groom. We get Jesus at the end. And so for us, there's commitment can actually be a good thing. It's not a takeaway, but it's for our good pleasure. Um, there was a quote that said this, and it's from Jim Rohn. It says, the walls we build around us to keep out the sadness also keeps out the joy. Careful to not build walls that keep out the bad and the good. I think we can do that in the moments of self-protection. We build a wall and we think, well, we, the pain can't come in. The sadness can't come in. But then also we notice our joy 
also diminishing. And I think God wants to take the lid off of that tonight. He wants us to live a joyous, wonderful life. And he's bringing something up. It is for our benefit. Revelation 22, 17 says this, And the Spirit and the bride say, Come. And let him who hears say, Come. And let him who thirsts come. Whoever desires, let him take the water of life freely. The bride of Christ is so beautiful, a place where we can literally be watered by the spirit of the living God. And this brings me into my last point, point number four. There's some things that we needed to run away from, but one thing we need to run to is run to truth. Run to truth. When Julia Roberts was confronted by truth, it was actually the opportunity to be set free. And we all have that same opportunity as well. I want to ask this question tonight. Who is the real you? Think about it. What's your personality? What are your likes? What are your dislikes? What's the reality of your current world right now? Who is the real you? And then let me ask another question. Who is the real authentic you surrendered to God? Because I think that sometimes we do think like, well, this is the real me. The real me has a bad attitude. <laughs> Deal with it. The real me, you know, can, the, you know, the real me is just, you know, I'm, I'm a hangry person. I don't know. The real me is late all the time. The real me, no, 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 no. It's not just who are we, but who are we with the spirit of the living God on the inside of us? Who are we really? Who are we really when the living God comes on the inside of us? All of a sudden, we're not just that version of ourselves. We're, we're this person that God has designed and created. So in order for us, for us to know who we really are, we have to know him, the God that created us. I don't know about you guys, but how many people love those like personality profiles? Yeah, the new one of, of the hour is the Enneagram. Yeah, so annoying. I'm kidding. I love all the personality profiles. I do the same thing too. Don't worry. I've looked them all up. I actually really do like them. What I don't like is when people are like, yeah, well, it's because I'm an eight. Or Myers-Briggs. Oh, no, I can't do that because I'm an introvert. Okay, but when the situation requires you to speak, then I need an opportunity. And don't worry, introverts. I will say the same thing to the extroverts. For the extroverts, sometimes we have to learn how to pull back a notch. So I get it. And here's the thing about those personality profiles. It tells you your strengths, right? And we love reading those. We're like, yep, that's what I am. Yep, got that going on. Yep, that's so good. That's exactly who I am. Thank you. And then you get to the section later on at the end that tells you your greatest weaknesses. I don't appreciate those as much. And... When we read those and when I read those weaknesses that, that we have, you know what my thought has been? I'm like, wow, I would, that part, I could see how that part of my personality, I could see how that part of who I am could get to that place. But you know what I've actually found as a Christian? When we've invited Jesus into our heart and into our life, he rounds out the edges. 
I'm like, so I know I would probably be all of those extreme weaknesses had it not been for the encounter of a living God who has come into my life and who has rounded out the edges. Who's like, you know what? You may have been that, but now you're going to exercise the fruits of the Spirit. You may have been those things, but now this is who you are with me on the inside of you. And you know what? That's not a lot of pressure either. It's not like, wow, I just have to completely transform my... God wants us with our personality. <clears throat> he wants us and designed us with personality. He designed the uniqueness of who we are. So he doesn't want us to lose our flavor. I'm going to have you all clap because I need to drink water. <laughs> it was good clapping. I appreciate it. It's good water too. Thank you, Jess. Um, so I think that a lot of times um, when it comes to our, our life, God, God designed and he created us with these beautiful different personalities and uniqueness and he wants us to have those. But at the same time, he wants us to embrace who he is on the inside of us. And we don't just have to change ourselves. It's God changing us from the inside out. When we lean into him, all of a sudden, gosh, in that situation, I would have been controlling, but I'm not. When we lean into him, it's like, oh, I would have done that, but now I'm not. So it's leaning into him, into Jesus, that transforms our life. When we are born again, it, it means that <clears throat> we're not just born like we were born into the world with human, you know, moms and dads, but we were born spiritually and things shift. This is what it says in Ezekiel 36, 26. And I will give you a new heart. And I will put a new spirit in you. I will take out your stony, stubborn heart and give you a tender, responsive heart. In 2 Corinthians 5, 17, it says this, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, that is grafted in, joined to him by faith in him as the Savior, he is a new creature, reborn and renewed by the Holy Spirit. The old things, the previous moral, moral and spiritual condition have passed away. Behold, new things have come because spiritual awakening brings new life. When Richard Gere faced Julia Roberts and for the first time in her life, she went, oh wow, you're right. I don't know who I am. And she went on a journey of self-discovery. In that moment, she found who she really was. And I think the same can happen for us and in a much better way because when we confront ourselves, we can invite the Holy Spirit in. And He can shine a light and He can tell us who we really are. And then you know what we do is that we bring at that point, we can bring. We don't pretend that there isn't stuff happening in our life or there aren't these cycles and these patterns that we are facing. It's not like those things just, you know, go away. No, but now we have an, 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 a way to be able to deal with those things that we are facing. And we can take those truths and we can bring them before God and go, okay, now tell me your truth. We bring our truth to the altar and then we allow God and we invi invite a spirit that is stronger than our human spirit that can shed light. We may not know the why, the what, the how, but we can know him. So I don't know what your truth is here today, but I know that when you bring it before the Lord, he can reveal 
who you really are. John 8, 31 through 32 says this. So Jesus said to the Jews who had believed him, everybody say believed. If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples and you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. Somebody say, know the truth. Okay, you know what's really interesting about that verse? It says, Jesus said to the Jews who had believed in him. If we take out the word Jew and we put Christians, like, because he was talking to believers. He said, you believe in me. He told the Jews, you believe in me. And to us as Christians, he says, you believe in me. But when I read that verse, I felt the question coming. Do we believe or do we know? He says, so Jesus said to Jews who had believed in him, if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples. So we can believe and not be a disciple. And you will know so that, but when we are a disciple, when we are following Jesus, when we abide in his word, what does the Bible say? It says we can know him. Church tonight, the word that I have in my heart is let's go from a belief in God to a knowing. I am telling you, that is when everything changes. When I can know about my situation, I can know the truth of my circumstance, I can know all of these things, and I can even know God, and I can have a conversation with God, and I can say, God, you know about these things in my life. I, I believe you, I believe the truth of your word. And he's like, great, I'm glad that you believe me. Do you know me? Isn't it different that when we have all of these things, maybe cyclical things or patterns in our life that we've been struggling with, and we're like, we're talking, we, we're rehearsing Bible verses and we're saying all the right things and we're going to the right people and we're doing the right things. And then we're like, why? Why is the result, why is this thing not shifting? And I felt God say is because sometimes we're doing all of those things. We believe to the best of our ability, but God is saying, actually, do you know me? Because I believe this, when we know that God doesn't just know about us or about our situations, but He knows us. He knows the real us. In that moment, everything can change. When we take that opportunity to confront ourselves and we stand before God, we can go, wow, I may have believed, all, but now I'm gonna know God. I think we have to go from a knowledge or from knowing about God to knowing Him. How different it is when you have a conversation with God and He's like, I know, sweetheart. Or He tells you who's facing that big financial burden and crisis, He tells that man, I know your situation because I know you. And I know, and then isn't it interesting a place of knowing that, that God begins to then share His truth about you and about your situation? And then he goes, I know you, and I know these things that are happening, but let me, let me tell you, let me give you some insight. Let me illuminate some truth for you. And even in that moment, if things don't shift immediately, it's like, God knows me. He knows my situation. He knows my pain. He knows my every need. All of a sudden, an expectation and a hope and a victory begins to rise inside of our spirit and the living God comes alive on the inside of us and it's like, you know what? Don't go down that altar again. I've got a different way. I've got a different truth for you. I've got a different way out of what you have been going through and everything 
can completely shift and change. Thanks for listening. To find out more about our pastors, team, and what we do at C3 San Diego, go to c3sandiego.com. 